We're at the last chapter in chapter 24. I want to read the chapter to you and then we'll make some applications. So Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. 
And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was departed from them and carried up into heaven and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Well first I want to make some applications by showing you why we need to believe in the resurrection. Did you notice how that Jesus referred to the Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled? What was written in, in the law of Moses and in the Psalms and the prophets concerning him. And he opened their understanding to see that. There were many of these about Jesus. It's all throughout scripture 
when you look at the Old Testament, the things pointing to Jesus. But just mention a couple. In Isaiah chapter 53, we are told the things about the suffering servant and how he was acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows, telling about his death, telling about how that he would make his grave with the wicked, how he was, which meaning how he was crucified between the thieves, but also how he made his grave with the rich in his death. That was Joseph of Arimathea who had bought this tomb and laid him in his own new tomb But in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it says, He shall prolong his days. I believe this is talking about the resurrection, that he wouldn't stay dead. In Psalm 16, there's another one. This is one that's also repeated later in Acts chapter 2. It's a quote of David written a thousand years before this event. And what it says in, in Psalm 16, in verse 10 is that his soul would not be left in hell. But some of your translations may say Sheol. That is the grave. This is not the same as hell Gehenna, which is eternal hell fire. This is where some people get confused. Jesus didn't go to eternal hell fire, as some people teach. What he did, though, he went to the grave. That's, that's Sheol. But he didn't stay in the grave. Notice how it says that he would not decay. And that's in Psalm 16, verse 10. That is, that he, nor will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Well, that's saying Jesus would not be left in the grave long enough for his body to decay. But Jesus referred to these things. He told people, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise the third day. And it came to pass like he said. It was so much a part that even the enemies knew what he had said. And that's why they set the guard to watch the tomb. So thinking about this and thinking it through, how did the prophets know so many? I'm, I'm only naming a, a couple. We could go through several of the prophecies concerning his death, burial, and resurrection and show you that here is... Here are all of these details given many years in advance. Jesus referred to them in his teaching. It was so well known that even his enemies knew that that's what he claimed. And yet, they've not ever been able to produce that body. I believe we should have very good reason to believe in the resurrection. Not only because of the prophecies, but because of the number of witnesses who had seen him, been with him before and after he was raised. Now, you notice how it talked about how these women came and there was no body. And then there were the angels who spoke to them. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And then they tell it to the apostles. The apostles verify that. And then they see him. They're walking, and at first they're not sure who is talking to them, but then later he reveals himself to them. The reason why they were, didn't know 
at first is because they're sad. They didn't, they didn't see and understand all of these prophecies yet. Even though he had been telling them, it just hadn't clicked. Aren't we like that? Do you think that just because there are people who know and, and they've heard the same scriptures over and over and over again, but it just didn't click? Maybe they thought they understood it, but they really didn't. But you think about the number of witnesses and the people who saw him. And then there was the bewildering uh, aspect of it. Are we hallucinating? Have we seen a ghost? Are we just seeing things? And Jesus says, no, handle me and see. And he let them touch him. And he let them uh, feel the, the imprint of the nails and the wound in his side. Later, John will speak of this, how that our hands have handled of the word of life. They, they saw him, they felt him, they, they, they got to be with him, they heard him teach, they ate with him. And I think about the witnesses, not only were women some of the witnesses who got to see after, but the apostles and others. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he makes the point that even above 500 brethren at once had seen him after his resurrection. Then I also consider about the resurrection, the honesty in the biblical accounts about his death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel accounts don't pull any punches about the mistakes that were made. About how one of his followers betrayed him for money. Another one of his followers denied him three times, even with cursing. The others fled and scattered. The fact that he appeared first to women, that is, would probably not be the way that in that time period you would have fabricated some story if you wanted to make it up. They refused to believe at first, and it lets us know this. If anyone has ever doubted and wondered if this is really true, understand that even some of his own followers had a little hard time with it at first. And then they were rebuked for it because they were a little slow to get it. They were fearful, and they were not courageous at first. Uh, not only that, they misunderstood his purpose. It said that they, we th understood that it was he that would have redeemed Israel. It seems to be that like they think he lost, like he failed. Like they didn't really understand his mission. And these were people who had been with him hearing him teach. Is it very possible that sometimes people who think they understand the gospel might not get the, even some of the most important points? And, but yet the gospel is letting us know their frailties and misunderstandings and their doubts. There's honesty in these accounts. This doesn't sound like something that you just fabricate and make up. Not only that, I believe it's believable because of the historical details. Think for a moment that the authorities confirmed the fact that Jesus had died. In one of the accounts, you have the coroner's report, so to speak, 
whenever the spear went into his side and blood and water came out and he was pronounced dead. They removed him off of the cross that he was buried and he was put in a tomb. Now, know that they wanted him dead and they wanted to make sure. They would not have done all of that and partly, you know, partly done the job. They wanted to make sure he was dead. This is why whenever they went to the, all of the uh, criminals, they were going to break their legs in order to speed up the, the death. But when they came to Jesus, they found him already dead. But rest assured, they wanted to make sure he was dead. Not only that, the people handled the body. There were spices. He was wrapped. This is not the way you would treat someone who is still living. Yet they did not detect any life. Then you think about the location of the tomb, that it had to be well known, had to be where the women knew where to go. Then when they go there, it's blocked off with a stone. Obviously the stone, I don't know the size or the, uh, how much that would have weighed. It doesn't tell us, but it was probably bigger than what the women could have handled because they said, who's going to roll away the stone? So it was sealed and it was guarded with soldiers. No one had ever been buried in this tomb. So you can't say, well, somebody else was in there and there could be no mistake concerning the remains. Both the Jewish and Roman authorities both had a part in, in the, the trial and the, the sealing of his tomb. And so vigilance would have taken place. They said, make it as sure as you can, because we remember that this deceiver, while he was yet alive, said, destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up. They knew what Jesus had claimed was going to happen. And so they, they even said, we better make sure we set a watch, because if somebody comes and steals the body, that would be worse of an error than these others. And so we're told what the enemies thought and what the authorities thought. And when I think about the historical details of this account and how that weighs in, and I don't see a, a, any decent alternative other than just saying he rose from the grave. And unless someone wants to come up with all of these other arguments about some explanation to explain away the resurrection of Christ, you might want to establish this, that even, if someone were to try to claim something like that, in, in the very essence of some of the arguments that they're making, they are having to admit that he really died. There really was a man named Jesus who died on a cross. He was buried that the Jewish authorities had the power and control over the tomb. So you have to admit that. And then on the third day, the tomb was empty. Now you still have those details and those facts, regardless of how you want to try to come up with some kind of explanation. And so really I think the best explanation is the one that we all know is true. Not only that, you see the changed lives in the apostles. 
You see those who went from scattering, not really knowing what to do. They're sad. They're, they're, they're in doubt. And somewhere between that and 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and empowers them as witnesses, they now have the ability in ways that they didn't, in a special way they didn't have before. And what you see is their boldness and their willingness to teach the name of Christ even though they're being threatened and they're going to be beaten. And what they do is when they get out of jail, they go right back to teaching it and preaching it. And then whenever they get beaten again and they say, do we not straightly charge you not to teach and spread this name? And then, and then what they say is, should we obey you or should we obey God? And we cannot help but speak in the name of Christ. And some, so something happened in the lives of these men. And something so bold in them caused them to maintain this story until their deaths. All the way through. Even to the point of being tortured to death. Yet they maintained their story. Yes, I believe that the resurrection is believable and there's many good reasons to believe in it and I've, I've just barely surveyed a few of those reasons. But another point and application I want to make is I want to look at the importance of why we should believe in the resurrection. Think about the importance and the significance of what it does for us. One is it shows that God has always kept His promises. He does not lie. If God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Jesus kept saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer at the hand of, of the Jews. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And he did. And when I think about this, in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 30. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 30, Peter comments on the promise that came through David, he says in Acts 2 verse 30, Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's commenting that David is writing this psalm that he's quoting. And David is prophesying that Jesus would sit on his throne. And Jesus is a descendant of David. So a rightful heir. Verse 31, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. And the thing that he's talking about that was just shed forth was that the, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and empowered them to be able to speak in these languages that they had never learned. There was this rushing mighty wind and so forth. Well, we see at least three promises being fulfilled in this. One, that Christ would rise from the dead. Two, that he would reign on the throne of David. And three, that he would send the, the apostles the Holy Spirit. And so... The promises were kept. He had told the apostles, wait in Jerusalem till you receive this promise. That promise came. And every promise that he's always made has come. 
and of the promises that are still yet to be fulfilled, they will come. We can rest assured that He is coming back, that He will raise everyone, good and bad, and then there will be a judgment day where the good will enter into heaven and the wicked will be in eternal hell fire. It shows us about His promises that way. And He's given full assurance because He's raised Him from the dead. Now, not only that, there's an importance here for us to see about the resurrection that He has power over death. That if Jesus was raised in spite of all of the watching and guarding and the intent of making sure He was dead, yet He had power over death. That's a very important point. Consider Ephesians 1 and verse 19. Ephesians 1, 19 says that he wants to show us the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. That power that Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that God has is very important because that's the same power that he has to raise you and I first from our sin and from a life of wickedness but also the power that he has to raise us after our bodies have long decayed and went back to the earth in Acts 2 and verse 24 Peter made the point that he had loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And in Romans 1 and verse 4, he is declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. That power is very important. And so death does not have any sting. There is a victory over death. It has been a problem since the beginning when sin entered into the world. And because they did not have right to the tree of life, having been driven from the garden, that's been an age-old problem. All of those people in the Bible that we see who had lived to be large years, even of the longest ones, it said, and he died. And there's a reason why when they referred to their time coming that they Because it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. We are all going to die. But I need to know that he has power over the death. And that I will be raised. That takes away a lot of the sting. That takes away the fear. It takes away my dread of that day. I haven't experienced it. Of course, and I, I don't know what that's like on the other side of it. But the fact that I know that I'm going to be raised, that changes everything. One thing for sure it teaches me is that He loves me. If He was willing to come and to die and then be raised, it teaches me He cares about me and that I will not be forgotten. Ecclesiastes talks about how people will be forgotten. You know, it, it doesn't take long when someone dies, you know, a couple of generations, and you, and, and you know this is true, 
Because how much do you know about your great-grandparents? How much do you really know about your great-great-great-grandparents? You might know their name, maybe, and you might know a little few facts and figures, possibly, but I doubt you really knew them or much about them. And even if you did, because that was passed down, how far back could you go so you get the point that it doesn't take long for people to be forgotten here, but not before God? And I think about the resurrection. Consider what is said in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is, God, it is Christ that died. Yea, rather that he is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is seen in the resurrection. And it shows us that He wants to save us. In Romans 4 and verse 25, He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again. Why? For our justification. And when we are baptized, we are buried into His death, we are raised to walk in newness of life, that we should not serve sin. Do you see salvation in that resurrection? Do you see how we benefit from His resurrection? We, are, we come up out of the water a new creature and we have a new hope and we have every reason to stop sinning and to live right. To know that He wants to save us is very crucial. So we see the importance of the resurrection. But then the so what? What does that, what does that mean that you should do about this? How, how does this translate to what you're going to do about it? Well, one is it should be that we should fear death so much less. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 8, Paul says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You see Paul's confidence in the resurrection. 
when you look at all the things he was willing to face courageously, how he was able to suffer shipwreck and stoning and beating and pressure from his own people and even from believers who sometimes got it messed up. But Paul was willing to go through all of that because he, he was courageous because of the resurrection. You want to know one big thing that it should change in our life besides that? It should be that we care less about worldly stuff and more about spiritual things. Because this world will end. Our lives will end on this earth. And so that ought to put that in perspective. Every pursuit and everything that is for this life, that's all it is. And so whatever choice I make, whatever thing that I do, it needs to be in perspective of where I'm going to be in the next life because that is so much further and longer. Because How can you compare this short life to eternity? I should care less about things that make me feel good and care less about things that I want that satisfies my flesh. In Colossians 3... He says it this way in verse 1, if, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Care more about spiritual things and heavenly things than the things of the earth. We should have so much more hope for the future. Even if things don't work out here in a job or in a situation that you currently have or in a relationship, you have hope for the future. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 6, it says, but when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. Here is a man who is facing a trial where some people might say, it's looking pretty bleak. What more does Paul have to look forward to in that predicament where he was at on that trial? You tell me. It wasn't in this life. It was in the next life. And also in 1 Peter chapter 1, when, we, when, he, when 1 Peter talks about these trials that we face, and sometimes the trials may be like a, a fire, like a crucible that tests metal, but makes it better, gets out the impurities. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant, de abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're just being tried and tested and it's one hardship after another? When you go through that, notice what he says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The next time you are going through something very, very difficult, tell yourself, this is all going to be worth it if I have hope in a resurrection. And so, yes, I can see light. I can see hope at the end of this tunnel in the next life. Another thing that it should do for you is it should cause you to live purely. It should cause you to want to get rid of all selfishness and all of those kinds of pursuits. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. There's a lot of things in the next life I can't answer because we don't know all the details. But he says, But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. If you have that hope, you want to live in view that when he comes down and, is a, and appears in the sky, that we are anticipating that and that we can receive that with joy and know that we're going to be with him and this struggle will end. We need to be more willing to take and stride the difficulties with a gooder, with, I'm sorry to say gooder, <laughs> with a better attitude. We really should. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 22, it says, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And while you might look at that and say, that seems like a, a lot of commitment that he's asking of us, but look at what he's offering for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sakes, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And one final point. One huge difference it should make in my life when I think about the resurrection, it should make me a far more evangelistic than I am. 
If I am looking at eternity and I am thinking about matters of the soul and I am thinking about how to help people, it should be mainly to save myself and to save those that hear me. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6, it says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I believe the reason why these Thessalonians had become so evangelistic and it made it known everywhere is because they believed in the power of the resurrection. And it moved them to want to spread that gospel in light of that future event. And if we are, and we get it, we should be. How can we claim that I love the resurrection and I believe in the resurrection and I don't have any desire to want others to take part in that? That makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense how someone can claim to be a Christian and believe in the cause of Christ and believe that he, what he came to do and think that I don't have some role to play. Now, different people, different abilities, different opportunities and what you're able to do. But if you think you have no urge at all, you have no responsibility at all to try to let this be made known to other people and help other people know about this story, how can you really believe the story? And how can you really believe the story if you don't do something about it and decide to live for him today? It's not just a story. It was a real event. Why not make it real in your life? Believe. Change. Confess that you believe that he's the Lord. Be baptized. And all your sins will be washed away. And you can be raised to have a new purpose and a new life. And if you've been raised, set your affection on heavenly things. Be right and live right. And live with that hope within you. And if you have to suffer a few things, it's okay. It's only temporary. And even if they kill you, it's okay. That's all they can do. Be right with God while we stand and as we sing.